You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry. And I'm so excited for August, I have to tell you. Um, in a few weeks, Revision Path will be at Weapons of Mass Creation Fest in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, tickets are still on sale, and single-day passes are now available. Uh, you can just head over to WMCFest.com and register today. I'm going to be on a panel on Saturday, August 16th, discussing race and culture in the creative community with a slew of just awesome panelists. It's going to be great. This week's episode is sponsored by 70KFT. 70KFT is a brand communications agency that develops and deploys marketing strategies through their three practice areas, design, digital marketing, and public relations. Visit them online at www.70kft.com and check them out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash 70KFT. Provision Path is also brought to you by MailChimp. More than 6 million people use MailChimp to design and send email marketing campaigns. It's quick and easy and free to sign up. Join them today at www.mailchimp.com. Now on to the show. This week I talk with Ohio-based designer and illustrator Reggie Weaver. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Reggie Weaver. I work as a rapid response operator for a medical insurance management company, and I am also a media designer and illustrator. How do you balance those two things? Well, I can honestly say it is uh, a challenge. It's like a daily struggle in a sense. Uh, I have to, I'm constantly scheduling, constantly trying to juggle. Some days I don't get to, you know, depending on my workload, some days I may not get to work on a project. Uh, And then some days, you know, if work is really light, I may um, actually work on the project while I'm at work, maybe doing lunch, maybe doing a, you know, a 15 minute break or, or so. Um, it, it's just a constant thing. So you kind of do the design stuff on the side, or you try to do it on the side from your regular nine to five job. Yes. Yep. I, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's important to mention because I know that you know most of the people that we do end up interviewing, they are kind of professional creatives. So what they do is design or develop twenty four seven. That's what they do. Uh, but I think it's also good to talk about people that are kind of doing the you know regular nine to five and then also are doing work on the side talk to me about sort of what your childhood was like did you have a really creative childhood what sparked your your zest for design so my mother is a very creative person and my father is a very creative person neither one of them are artists but they are either musicians or just just the way they live their lives they're very uh, creative if that makes any sense. So I think I, I got a lot of my creativity from them. And mm-hmm. I have two uncles who are artists. They did not um, pursue it in a professional sense, but even to this day, they draw. So I think for me, that's kind of how I came into it, you know, from being a child um, okay. from that standpoint. And then you also went to like an, an arts high school. Is that right? Yes. I went to, um, it's a uh, Stivers. It's a, uh, uh, art, a visual art. Well, it's, it encompasses a lot. Um, it has visual arts, um, performing arts, 
So it was this huge, you know, this you're just surrounded by the art. So you have dancers, you have uh, you know, singers, painters, visual artists as well. Um, you just have all these, all these people, all these different art forms coming together in one place. And I think that's for me that was really cool because I gained inspiration. All my inspiration did not come just from visual artists, but it also came from you know musicians and you know creative writing things of that nature. And so with being around all of that art all the time, would you say that that also kind of influenced your design style now? Yes, yes. Now, after Stivers, you also went to an arts college, is that right? Well, here's the interesting thing. So right out of Stivers, um, I actually went to pursue a biomedical engineering degree. And, and the reason was that I received a full tuition scholarship in biomedical engineering. And so, you know, my mother, she felt that I didn't have a choice. Like, oh, no, you're not pursuing art. You're going to go and you're going to, you know, you got this full tuition scholarship in engineering. That's what you're going to do. So at that time, you know, I was like, okay, well, and then I went ahead and pursued that. And I did that for two years. After two years, I was on the brink of losing my mind because I felt like, not only was I doing something that brought me no sense of joy, but it felt purposeless to me. Not to say that biomedical engineers, what the work they do has no purpose, but for me, it felt purposeless. Like I didn't feel like this was something that I wanted to do after I graduated. It wasn't something that was so interesting to me that I could have as a career. So mm-hmm. after two years, I went ahead and I transferred to, to an uh, art school. And there, I really began to grow. And I, I feel like those those years were the most profound because more than anything, I think I was it, it taught me how to think critically when it came to creating art. And it showed me that art doesn't have to be, and in my personal opinion, shouldn't simply be something that is aesthetically beautiful. It should be something that is provoking to the viewer in some shape, sense, or form. Well, I can see that because, like you said, you went, you know, your your mother and father were creative. You went to a creative high school, so to speak. And then the switch from that to biomedical engineering, which is sort of like a a more, you know, left brain type of idea mm-hmm. or left brain type of field. I could see why eventually you wanted to go back and, and do art. So when you were at, at art school, you were a member of the diversity task force there. What was that about? Oh, so I was uh, appointed by the dean of students. Um, well, the art school I went to, it really didn't have a, a, a high racial, I guess, racial diversity. It didn't have a lot of racial diversity. And um, I was chosen by one of the dean, by the dean of students, to participate in this task force. Part of the reason was because I was also the president of the uh, African-American Cultural Alliance. Okay. And so it was really, it was really interesting. I think we all kind of know, I think everybody, you know, casually knows or at least believes and feels that, oh, you know, I'm well adjusted to the fact that, you know, I'm in a space, I'm in an environment where there are people of different nationalities, different races, different ethnicities than I am, and that we are all different. But at the same time, we are still equal. But I think mm-hmm. when I think when we really sit down and, and talk about it, I think we find that there there are a lot of things that subconsciously do or think that isn't uh, necessarily it doesn't necess- necessarily follow 
the fact that we you know the people around us are different but equal. Um, I think that that was a very revealing thing for me, even for myself, and for I think for some of the people who came, to, you know, who came into the meetings uh, at the Divi- uh, Diversity Task Force and the African American Cultural Alliance. So, what were some of the things that you did in that task force? Uh, we did a lot of um, programming. So we would have the biggest thing we did was we would have uh, workshops. We would have open forums. And I tried with um, the African American Cultural Alliance to um, kind of piggyback, if that makes sense, like to like kind of connect, like the programs we would have in the task force. I would try to some kind of way make them connect with what we were doing in our uh, cultural alliance. Mm-hmm. So, oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, no. I was going to say, did you do any sort of work like with with AIGA? Did you was there an AIGA chapter, like a student chapter there or anything? Oh, no, nope, we didn't do that. Okay, all right. So, you graduated from art school, you got your first design job. Tell us what that job was and what you learned from it. Uh, my first design job, I was at the Ohio Department of Development. I think it has a different name now. But um, when I worked there, it was called the Ohio Department of Development. And um, basically, I was the graphic designer and marketing intern. And it, it was probably out of all the jobs that I had, oh, no, no, you know what? Out of all the jobs that I had, it was probably the most, I guess, enlightening as to what not to do. <laughs> At the time, I had this massive, 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 massive afro. I mean, it was just, it was massive. And I was working in an, in an office space. Uh-huh. And so when I was originally hired, they never spoke of it. They never said anything about it. And, you know, now that I'm, you know, a little bit you know, older, I realize that sometimes in those types of environments, just because it's not spoken doesn't mean people don't, you know, think it, you know what I mean? And it was, it wasn't until a few months in that I started to realize there were reasons why they didn't allow me to go on certain photo engagements and things of that nature. And, you know, one of the photographers there brought me to the side and said, Reggie, you know, it's that hair, you know, it's that hair. So I went ahead and got it cut. And, you know, things still, things, things went, you know, more smoothly. But beyond that, I think artistically, I learned about the amalgam of being an artist and being a professional and how those two things are very rarely, very rarely exclusive. They go hand in hand. You know, if you want to be a successful artist, you have to, there's a certain level of professionalism and behavior and conduct that you must constantly hold yourself to. So you're saying that that after you cut your hair, it got better in in terms of that particular job that you were at? Yes. Huh. That is so interesting. Just to, to share a personal story. So you said you have, or you had, I should say, a massive afro. Mm-hmm. So I also have a massive afro. <laughs> I've had I've had it for years now, and every place that I it's funny because when I first you know was starting to try to grow it out, I was working somewhere. It was a contract position. I knew that they probably weren't going to hire me you know full time after that, and so I started growing my hair out. And I don't know if anyone ever made mention of it because I think they knew that I would have raised hell about it if they did. Because this was right around the time, this was probably 2000, oh, 2007, 2008, 
and there had just been this um I don't know if it was a lawsuit or, or something, but I know that I, I read about something where a guy had uh dreadlocks where he was working. I think it was dreadlocks or braids, one of the two, and his job was telling him that he needs to cut them because, you know, they didn't give like a professional image or something like that and he wanted to know why because I don't think what he was doing was client facing so it wasn't a big problem and so I was growing my hair out at the time and I don't think anyone has ever made mention of it or made me feel uncomfortable about it but that's very interesting that you cut it and it got better where you were working at huh that's very interesting I keep saying interesting I need to come up with a new word but uh <laughs> Or you were working there at the Ohio Department of Development. What other design jobs did you have after that? After that, I went on to the Ohio Department of Alcohol and Drug Addiction Services. And I think they, I'm trying to think if they changed the name. I don't know. I know Ohio did this whole overhaul where they did this huge redesign of everything, and that included the names of all their agencies. But that, out of all the design jobs I've ever had, was probably my most favorite. Mm-hmm. Just, just because I felt like as an artist, I was appreciated more. I was given a little bit more creative license. And the workload was immense, but along with that workload came a lot of freedom, which was I loved. I, I just loved working like that. It was very deadline-driven, which I, I never really had a problem with. And that job, I actually got to do think um, probably the most challenging project I, I worked on was the annual report. And this was something that was viewed by everyone from people in our office to the public to, you know, legislative people, judicial people. And so it was a lot of pressure, it was a lot of pressure. And at the time, the department did not have a graphic designer at all. Their communications people there, you know, the communications people actually um, were the ones who would just put their heads together and produce graphics. And so when I came on, it was like it was just a heavy, 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 heavy workload. And it was a point where I created a annual report, which one thing, it, it was to include two years of information rather than one. It had to be reduced in size, and we had half the time to create it. So it was like just one thing after another that just made it even more of a challenging task. But we were able to pull it off. We pulled it off and it was it came it came out to be a very beautiful piece. It sounds like a lot of the work that you've done has been mostly for government entities, is that right? Yes. Yes. Well I also um a lot of my freelance work has been beyond that, but most of my like eight to five, the eight to five uh, types of jobs that I that I've had in the arts, I mean, mm-hmm. and design have always yeah usually been like government entities. Would you say that Ohio in general probably has a good design scene? I would say so. I would say so. It's very Ohio being, in my personal opinion, a much more. It's not as it's, it's, it's not as fast paced as other places, but I think being that it's not so fast paced gives artists the great opportunity to be a little bit more. I don't want to say thought provoking because I don't want it to seem like I'm saying in other places, you know, artists aren't thought provoking. But I think you get a chance to kind of, in a sense, stop and smell the roses type of thing. I don't think it's it. You feel so driven to just 
produce, produce what's the next greatest thing, you know, fast, fast, fast. I think here it's a little bit more about sitting and thinking and just, I don't, I don't know, sitting, thinking, and just, just trying to, well, me, me personally, I see, I see art projects as, and this, this is, and maybe this is part of the biomedical part of my, I mean, you know, aspect of me, but I've always seen art projects as uh, mathematical equations and what okay. you're doing and what you're doing is you're trying to balance the equation. You're trying to figure out a solution to solve this problem. So whether the problem is a annual report and, you know, you have to create a chart that has 14 pages of information, but you have to create, you have to condense this into a chart for one page. How do you use color design concepts and whatever to, to, to create this thing that is condensed? It still has all the information it needs to and is appealing to the eye. Okay. I see. I see where you're going for it. That sounds like, and I've talked with other designers that are in Ohio and they kind of all sort of say that same thing about how Ohio is sort of less fast paced. So it gives them more time to, I guess, create more thoughtful types of work. Yeah. And and maybe, you know, like I said, that's attributed to kind of the way of life. Are you familiar with Weapons of Mass Creation Fest? Yes. Yeah, so they have that in, I believe it's in Cleveland every year. Uh, are you going this year? I don't think I'll be going this year. <laughs> have you been before? Yes. What was your experience like there? It was interesting. I actually, um, when I went, I was sick, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm kind of trying to get a get an idea because I'll be speaking there this year. Uh, oh, so this will, will be my, yeah, this will be my first. Well, this is my first time going to Ohio, first time going to Cleveland, first time speaking at Weapons of Mass Creations Fest. So I kind of wanted to get a lay of the land, I guess, before I go, so I get well, an idea. Of well, you know what? Around. I'm going to have to make a way to get there so I can, so I can hear you speak. I'm going to have to find a way. Okay. Yeah, my panel is on. Saturday, August 16th, I believe. They're doing two panels. One is on race and gender in the creative... No, is it? no it's race and culture in the creative community. And then the other one they're doing is on gender and LGBTQ in the creative community. So I think those are going to be two two-hour panels. I believe one's Friday, one's Saturday. And the one that I'm on, which is the race and culture one, is on Saturday. So, yeah, if you decide to make it, let me know. Okay, cool. So, of your experiences, you were also an art teacher for a while. Yes. What was that like? That, no. <laughs> so, when I initially, my teaching license, my teaching certificate is for elementary school level kids, like, you know, and I prefer, like, first grade kindergarten. That, that's my preference. I was teaching seven and eighth grade students. And one of the, let me see, let me, let me choose my words carefully with this one, <laughs> one of the most challenging school districts. Okay. And so it was, it was very interesting. Most of the students that I had, and I can honestly say about 85% of the students that I had either were not able to fully, you know what, most of them just, just weren't reading at, at a seventh and eighth grade level. I'll just, I'll, I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. And that was a challenge because you know, for seventh and eighth grade students, it's not all about, you know, just just showing them how to draw pretty pictures or, you know, having them color. You know, you want for them to understand design concepts. You want you want there to be an introduction to that. 
And so um, that was a huge hurdle. And then there were a lot of a lot of these students um, had behavioral issues. And so it seemed more like a class where we were trying to just keep the peace a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But I found I found a lot of creative ways. At the time, these students did not get a a recess, so I would do things like, for instance, we had a branding lesson where we talked about, you know, a brand, you know, why branding is important, types of brands, and we had them create uh, paper airplanes. I had them go ahead, they branded the airplanes, they, you know, wrote up, you know, you know, about a paragraph of information about their brands, and then we took them out to the gym and we let them throw their airplanes. So it kind of it kept them involved, you know, knowing that, oh, once we do this part, then afterwards we'll be able to go to the gym and throw our paper airplanes. You know what I mean? It, they felt um, they felt there was going to be fun afterwards, so they stayed engaged. But um, overall, it was a nice experience, just uh, a little challenging, but in different ways. Than, than I'm yeah, you're being you're being very careful and cautious with your words, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like it was very challenging. I get that. I understand that. I feel you. So going back to and and this is sort of an, an offshoot of that when you were with the diversity task force and you were in art school, a lot of conversation now is about sort of the diversity in the design community. This is something that I've talked about pretty much on most interviews that I've done, but I've also talked about it outside of that with, um, I've talked with AIGA about it. I've talked with other organizations. What is your opinion of sort of diversity in the design community? How can we make it so more voices are included at the table? So when it comes to design or just, just the arts and, you know, overall, I've always felt that in, in, in our society and cultural in general, the arts is the number one place, the premier place where diversity is not only important, but it is so necessary that without it, in my personal opinion, just could not flourish, could not grow. You have to have diversity, creative mind. I think creativity is born of diversity. If you don't have, you know, diverse, you know, thoughts, you know, a variety of experiences, then I feel creativity just can't grow. I feel like it's impossible. I feel like in general, the artist is, is where creativity, well, is where diversity uh, comes from in a sense. I feel like when you usually hear about some type of groundbreaking event that has to do with diversity, it usually starts with something involving the arts, you know, you know, something involving whether that whether that's music, something on TV, you know, I think it always involves the arts. And I feel that I personally feel we're in a good place when it comes to the arts and diversity. I feel, um, of course, nothing's perfect, but I feel that we are um, growing and I feel we are pushing. And, and I, I think we're in a good place and we just have to keep doing what we're doing. And I think diversity will continue to, to happen more and more. Yeah, I think it's really important, uh, like you said, to have those different you know, minds together, those different those different ideas at the table, because mm-hmm. what, what would end up happening if there's not a lot of diversity in the design community, what ends up happening because the art sort of shapes, you know, culture, you end up having a monoculture because you've just got one side yes. of the story, yeah. I guess, if yeah. you want to call it a story, yeah. but you've only got one perspective that's really being put out there. Mm-hmm. 
and that may not, you know, that may not vibe with everyone. So, so speaking of diversity and projects and things like that, tell me about your web comic that you're working on. Oh, cool. So my web comic, it's called Living Out, and it is a LGBTQIA, and that let me see if I can remember all of it: lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or transsexual, queer or questioning, intersex, ally, or asexual. A comic strip, and it's okay. and it basically um, encompasses racial uh, minorities. So it's like a, I guess you could call it a minority within minority webcomic. Mm-hmm. And basically, I want this webcomic to eventually become a animated series. One of the big things about this webcomic, so its main purpose is to promote creativity, inclusion, and the celebration of diversity within the LGBTQIA community. And the characters, they're all very uh, genuine. They're all very real. Um, but one thing I, I wanted to stay away from is this whole idea, and this is something that I see so much in, in subject matter in the media, you know, mostly television, that has to do with gay, quote-unquote, gay people, is it's very derogatory to you know, very derogatory or overly sexualized, or it, it paints it in a very, it's always very one-sided. And that's something with living out. I want it to still encompass the harsher side, but as well as the light, upbeat, beautiful side of, of being an LGBTQIA person, you know, that life experience, you know, you, you will experience things based pretty much simply because of, of the type of social and cultural constructs we have here, your experiences will will be different and there'll be things that you will, there'll be spaces uh, mentally as well as physically that you will find yourself in that most people who just don't know will not be aware of. And I think, you know, those stories, there's certain stories that I just have not seen being told that I think just really, really, really need to be told. And so you explore those through the comic then, is that right? Yes, yes. How's progress been going with it? So far, uh, it's slow. It's slow, but it's going pretty good. I'm in the process of completely revamping the website. We actually started the comic February of last year, and I've learned a lot um, as to how to, a lot from trial and error, um, as to how to manage a web comic. It went from being a, a web comic that I was going to publish a strip once a day to being one that I decided to publish it once a month, to it being bi-monthly, to now it being mm-hmm. once a week. And it's just trying to juggle, you know, my schedule and understanding what I can manage and what I can't with this webcomic. The most challenging thing is having, is the steady flow of ideas. Well, you know what? Not the steady flow of ideas, but how to take these ideas and put them and, and package them on a screen that makes them very appealing, very captivating, and gets mm-hmm. my point across. So with the webcomic, you're doing the writing, the the drawing, the color. You're doing the whole thing yourself, right? Yeah, the whole shebang. <laughs> I was also doing the coding. I was using WordPress, but because of where I want to go with this webcomic, that, there's no way I'm going to be able to code it. So I'm actually using mm-hmm. a web developer now who resides in California who's helping me to code, to recode the website. So that should... Okay. So that should work out pretty good. 
Now, I know you said you want to eventually make this into a uh, an animated series. Are you looking, I guess, once you start getting the comic back going at a good frequency, you'll start looking for sponsors? Would you do a, like a Kickstarter campaign to sort of gain, you know, gain awareness and gain funds, that kind of thing? Yes, yes. And it's, it's funny you say Kickstarter. I was actually talking to, uh, what was it? I think it was my brother about a month ago about Kickstarter. That is a must-do. Once everything, once the uh, website is redesigned, I'm going to most definitely be um, creating a Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. There's another uh, black gay designer that I talked to. His name is Chris Barker. And I know that when I talked with him about what he's trying to do, I think he's trying to start a magazine called Factor. And he sort of mentioned a lot of the same things that you did about making sure that the content that you're putting out is is not derogatory, it's not crass or anything like that, but it sort of reflects a different side of what it means to be, you know, a black gay person or, or like you said, in the LGBTQIA spectrum, what it means to be in that spectrum as a black person. So I think if you do it, you know, if you really start keeping on a schedule, maybe look at some other successful web comics and how they've done it. One that I would recommend to you to check out is, well, actually two. The first one is Cucumber Quest. Cucumber like the vegetable. Mm-hmm. It's a woman, she goes by the name of Gigi DG. I think she's in California as well. But she's had two successful Kickstarters. I think she puts out her comic, I think it's three times a week. And it's along the same lines of kind of what yours is, where it's, I think it's like a one-panel type of style, one-page type of style. And then the other one is, oh, what's the name? The name is escaping me. Johnny Wander, W-A-N-D-E-R. And that's that's a couple, a man and a woman, and they do a, I want to say it's weekly. Um, I think they do a weekly comic, and it's just in black and white. But they've also done a couple of successful Kickstarter campaigns as well to kind of raise funds so they can keep doing it on a regular level. So I think if you go that route, look at what those two comics have done because they've managed to kind of really successfully tap into their audience and get the funds that they need to continue doing the work that they're doing. Cause I think that based on what you're telling me and also based off the information that I heard from Chris, when I talked to him, this is something that is a definite need, like you're filling a void here. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly the opportunity to get support for it if you, you know, kind of go about it the right way. Gotcha, gotcha. Who do you think, or or what I should say, might have stopped you from realizing your full potential as a designer? Hmm. Oh, wow. Now, that, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> I've, you know, it's so funny. I've never, ever thought about that. But honestly, I think the one thing that has ever or could ever make me, you know, not realize, you know, my potential would probably be myself. Like when it comes to self-realization, I think you are responsible for that. I don't think you, anyone can truly deter you from your self-realization but yourself. I think people can influence you, but I think ultimately you are the one who's responsible for that. And yeah, for me, I would say uh, one of my and something I, I even work, I still work on today is self, uh, feelings of self-deceit, self-doubt, you know, doubting my resolve, doubting my capability. And that, that's something that I sometimes have to, you know, just pull myself out of and say, you know, Reggie, you know you can do this. So just do it. Just do it. 
And I think that the biggest thing that, that has helped me more so than anything is just telling myself, just do it. Just go through the motions and do it. You know, don't, mm-hmm. and it's like, keep yourself so, for me, it's like, keep myself so busy that I don't have time to doubt. I don't have time to second guess. So that's sort of how you keep yourself motivated and inspired, or do you have other things that you do? Other things, I so on my laptop, <laughs> I had, oh, actually, it's on my phone. I have a picture of the Bruce Tim Batman the Animated Series, Batman, pointing like Uncle Sam. You know those Uncle Sam posters that say, I want you? Uh-huh. And it has a picture of Batman. He's pointing at me and he's saying, work on your SHIT. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I look at that, being that Bruce Tim is is probably my number one favorite artist of all time next to Alex Ross and Bill Watterson. Okay. That's something that really inspires me. It pushes me. It, you know, and plus I'm a huge Batman fan. But it, it evokes something in me. And I'm like, you know what? Yes work on it, do your stuff, you know, don't get hung up on, just, just do it, just do it, just do it. So that, that's a mm-hmm. huge inspiration. Also, uh, one big thing for me is my mother, and she has always been such an amazing and immense support to me. And I want to get to a place where she doesn't have to work anymore. I want to become so successful that I can do things for her so that she never has to work again. So that's, a, that's another huge push for me. Speaking of your mom, have you had any other mentors that have kind of helped you along the way in your creative journey? Yes. Willis Bean Davis. He's actually a nationally known artist. Okay. And he actually took me under, you know, under his wing and, you know, when I was in high school. And he was the one who basically helped me through the college process of applying for colleges and everything, even though I initially went into biomedical engineering when it was time for me to make that that transition to an art college. He was there to um, help me through it, help me, you know, apply, get my portfolio ready, um, things in that things of that nature. Also, uh, Mike Peters, he, you know, uh, the uh, artist who does uh, Mother Goose and Grimm. I entered into a uh, what was it? It was a newspaper editorial uh, cartoon competition. And the first year I did it, I came in uh, second place. And I remember it was so odd because the first place winners were the ones who got, you know, who he would bring up on stage. He would talk to them and everything. But I remember he told me, he told me to wait. And I waited and he took me to the side and he told me that my work probably had, he told me I was the most talented artist out of the group, even though I did not win. And he went, you know, he went to, you know, give me a few pointers and, you know, I took his criticism, his very, very, very constructive criticism. He was, you know, he he was amazing. And I used it the next year I won first and just his, his nurturing and, and seeing he gave me the first opportunity to truly explore how the comic media, comic medium can be used to um, express my ideas. And I, I've stuck with that ever since. Do you still keep in contact with him? I used to, but as time went on, when I went away to college, we, we start to talk less, less and less. And, and now we, we don't even talk. But I well, would, maybe you can let him know about this interview. Oh yeah, I would. I would really love to rekindle that that friendship and, and you know just see how he's doing and everything. And 
let him, you know, see, look at my work and, and just, uh, you know, pick his brain again. Well, Mike Peters, if you're listening, get in contact with Reggie Weaver. We're making it happen. We're putting it out there in the universe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who has offered you some of the most useful career advice? Some of the most useful career advice that was offered to me from probably James Tucker. And he's one of the producers of um, Justice League and Justice okay. League Unlimited. An amazing person. Oh, my God. Like, I can't, I can't speak his praises enough. And he came to, to take the time to actually, you know, just give me great advice and, you know, his insights about, you know, the industry and, and everything. It's, it's a gem, you know, and he has given me a lot of, a lot of good information. Mm-hmm. What was the advice that he gave you? Mostly about where the industry is the strongest, whether it be you know moving to um, Atlanta or moving to LA or you know New York or Chicago. You know, he we discussed the methods to you know like like inking or traditional ways versus you know more um, technological ways. You know, using you know Wacom Cintiq tablets and you know, all those types of things. And then. And then another thing about about uh, Tucker, he, he's a huge comic book fan, and I'm a big comic book geek too. Um, even though he's more more learned on that subject than I am, but it's always refreshing to just force out those con- those types of conversations. Also, well, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's kind of go off of talking about kind of your work and your career, and we can talk about sort of you as a as a person. Do you have any plans uh, for this summer? Any plans for the summer? Uh just uh, continuing to push my comic more than anything. I want, uh, along with the comic, well, I want the comic to become more than just um, a comic or more than just an animated series. I want it to become a brand. So just uh, doing some uh, promotional things. I want it to, you know, being that I want this to be a brand that promotes diversity and, you know, inclusion and things of that nature. I want to do, and I have, you know, did a little bit of talking about doing some, volunteer work in the name of the Living Out series, you know, so that, you know, the volunteer efforts will be connected to Living Out's brand, which is to promote those types of ideals. That's my biggest thing right now. Also, I just I just thought about this. I'm really pushing my whole um, weight training goals and things. And, you know, I'm really pushing that. So and I'm trying to really, I call myself a quote-unquote body engineer, I guess. <laughs> it's, kind of okay. stupid, it's kind of stupid, but... I think that's, I don't know, it's a, it's a little stupid, little uh, geeky little name I made. But um, that's another thing that I'm working on this summer. Are you going into, like, personal training and stuff? I've, I've considered it. I've actually studied for my personal training license. I just haven't taken the test yet. I've had a few a few clients, mostly just friends who just you know, need a little bit of help here and there or um, some advice here and there. Mm-hmm. What music are you listening to these days? You know what? I am a huge, huge, huge fan of movie soundtracks. So okay. right, right now, I've been recently I've been listening to the Maleficent soundtrack. I've been listening to Inception. That soundtrack. That soundtrack. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. That's Hans Zimmer, right? Yes. Oh my God, I love that man. He is such. A, an amazing composer of music. Like he, he just, he really knows what he's doing, and it shows in all he so many films that he's created that he's uh, composed for. Oh, oh, go ahead. 
So we have a lot of students and things that listen to the show. What advice would you give to someone that is that is just starting out with design? The best advice I think I, I would give is probably going to sound pretty um, stereotypical and pretty, you know, cliche. But I think the biggest thing is to see it through. Don't give up. If this is always remember why you went into it. And no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how challenging it becomes, stick with it. If you really want it, just stick with it. And in sticking with it, you want to give yourself the best opportunity and the best chance to be successful. Hone your skills and never, ever, ever cut corners with your education. When you're educating yourself to become a designer, when you're educating yourself to become an artist, open your mind, take in as much information as you can, and then take in even more. Um, Find inspiration from everything and always analyze, analyze, analyze. I think that's that's probably the best uh, best advice I could give. Are you where you wanted to be at this stage in your life? I'm not where I thought. I want it to be, but I feel like I'm where I'm where I'm supposed to be. I feel like I'm where I need to be. You know, one big thing I've always believed is that life is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful struggle. And it's, you know, I feel like even though sometimes I feel like I'm really struggling or whatever, I feel like at the same time, there's a lot of lessons that I'm learning now that if I was in a different space, I wouldn't be ready for, or I would fail miserably because of the lessons that I would not have learned if I had not struggled. Where would you, you said you're not where you want to be. Where, where did you want to be? By this time I was, I was hoping that I will probably have an animated series by now. (laughs) Okay. Even though when I, when I really think about and consider everything, I wondered to myself, was that really completely realistic? You know, (laughs) but, um, I know for a fact I'll get there. It's just, it's just I just have to go through the process. Is that sort of where you want to be within the next, like, five years or so? Yes. Yes. Actually, within the next two or three years, I'm hoping. Okay. All right. So just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find you online? You can find me at uh, livingoutcomic.com and my portfolio, my just my regular art portfolio, behance.net slash Reggie Weaver. And that's, and that's all one word? Yes. Okay. Reggie Weaver. Got it. All right. Well, Reggie, thank you so much for taking time out of your day for this. I know we kind of had – you all don't know this from listening. We had some technical difficulties, but we managed to smooth it on out. We got it together. So, again, thank you so much for this. I think people are going to get uh, some great information from it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Reggie Weaver and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to check out 70kft.com and thank them for sponsoring this week's episode. Uh, You can also check them out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash 70kft, and like their fan page as well. While you're surfing around, visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account and start sending newsletters to your clients and customers today. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like these interviews and the other content that we're providing, then help keep us going. Just visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.